Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Let's get Brexit done. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's in Birmingham, still home with me, folks. Ah, the town where I was born, back in good old England. Today we're joined by TV pundit Laura Babcock in Hamilton, journalist Emma Burnell in London, and by the Hellraiser, the Firestarter. You know what, Doug? I should never call you a Firestarter, considering oh. half of California is ablaze. And I used to be a firefighter, so I'm not a fire starter. All right, there you go. Never twisted. <laughs> well, we're joined by the ex-firefighter, Doug Levy, in San Francisco in America. Say hello, folks. Hi. Hello there. Good morning. In a week that has seen the UK become the largest state donor with a 30% increase in funds to the World Health Organization, we ask... Has Mitch McConnell overplayed his hand? Win, lose, or draw in this election, will you commit here today for a peaceful transferal of power after the election? There has been rioting in Louisville, there's been rioting in many cities across this country, red and your so-called red and blue states. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer? Pearl of power after the election. Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. And, I understand that, but and, people are rioting. Do you commit oh, to making sure that there's a no, peaceful transfer of power? We want to have get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very trans. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Uh, the ballots are out of control. You know it, and you know who knows it better than anybody else. The Democrats know it better than anybody else. U.S. President Donald Trump has said that he will announce this week his candidate to fill the vacancy at the Supreme Court created by the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. In fact, uh, by the time this video goes out, we'll actually know whose nominee will actually be. Will the seating of a new conservative justice change the political future of the nation for generations to come with unforeseen circumstances? Douglas Levy, why don't you go first, sir? 
There is no question that this is going to get what was already a very agitated population even more agitated. I mean, we've said over and over again, we're in uncharted territory. Now we are really in uncharted territory. Even the folks who've been watching Washington for the longest, nobody can really know for sure how this is going to turn out because we have multiple things going on at once, which we'll get to over the next few minutes. But the the main thing is that the base that already supports Trump is going to be thrilled with the new, the actuality of a new Supreme Court justice. The opposition, which is a majority of the American electorate, according to all the polling, is going to be agitated because they oppose the new justice. The question is that if the justice is confirmed before the election. Who does that bring out more of? Don't know. Emma, you're a student of American politics. Um, Who is this going to excite more? The Republicans, because they're going to be dancing in the streets, quite literally saying we've got our majority on the Supreme Court. Or is it going to get out even more Democrats? I mean, the polling is saying that it's the Democrats who are more fundamentally driven by this at the moment, which is a flip because it was always the Conservatives who were were keener on on voting on Supreme Court issues. So I would say at the moment what it's looking like is it will drive up Democrat um, voters. The question, I think, is whether the non-Trump Republicans, so the people in the middle who independent registered or maybe registered Republicans but don't like Trump were considering Biden which way this sends them and you know that they are the ball game basically my instinct is that they won't they'll they'll find this a little bit smelly um frankly um some of them will be excited by it because they want an anti-abortion judge um but a lot of others will think that this is basically unseemly and you know, endless clips of Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham making arguments that it's appalling to appoint, uh, try and appoint a Supreme Court justice in an election year, uh, and then trying to do it basically in the same month as the election. Uh, I think actually some voters will be just like, this is just continued norm breaking and chaos. For people to go along with it, they they now have to say, okay, do we really, really want that judge? Sure we do. But he has laid out the reason why he wants it at this stage is so that he can stack the Supreme Court for a challenge to the election. And while they might have even been okay with that, when he said out loud, uh, you know what, uh, transition of power peacefully, we'll see, depends on it. And, and as long as people don't use those ballots, then, uh, you know, I'll just transition for another term. So he basically shook, I feel, the foundation, if not of America, certainly up here in Canada, we were like, what? I know we've hinted at it all. He's hinted all along. Mars been on it for years. But for him to actually articulate that he wants a judge in there to rule in his favor when he challenges a democratic election, that might be just maybe a bridge too far for some of these, if not diehard Trumpers, at least those Republicans you're talking about, who just see that as being a terrible, terrible precedent to set. It really would be the end of the democracy. That hasn't been enough to push the Democrats in the Senate, the ones that matter. The only people who matter are the 50 those people in the Senate still are showing no spines. But OK, Doug, we, we do have Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins in Maine that have shown a certain amount of spine. But just let's hold that thought just for a moment. 
here, here is my hypothesis. And I always say, I've got to heavily, heavily caveat this. I am completely not elite. The glass is half full, never empty. I'm a blind optimist and I run into problems because of it. Right. So here we go. Uh, this election um, was always going to excite more Democrats than Republicans to vote. And I do believe that America is tilted leftwards uh, by maybe five percentage points. Polls will tell you that it's possibly even more, but I believe that there are some Republicans who just think that Trump is utterly odious and are voting with their conscience and not necessarily with their economic uh, well-being in mind and saying, we need to get rid of this man. Call the norms that he's broken, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever drug you're smoking or whatever, I want Ex it. All right, I don't so, know where you're getting that from. Because it's Canada. We've got good weed up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doug, I'm looking at opinion polls. I'm looking at opinion polls. And even in uh, the battleground states, the 2016 battleground states, Biden has a lead of anywhere between seven to plus 10 points. It's really soft in a couple of key places. Like Not say, remember I said my overwhelming optimism gets me into trouble, right? Let's just go with my optimistic take on things. Uh, Biden wins in a landslide and it can't really be challenged by Trump, okay? The Democrats squeak it with the Senate and no one is saying that Congress is in play. No one is saying that at all. The chances are better than evens that the Democrats could have all three legislative bodies in their control come, come November, or at least by January, January the 20th. Wouldn't the stacking of the Supreme Court and the inflexibility of consensual politics within the Senate drive the Democrats to massive reform of the Senate statehood for Washington, D.C., possibly even for Puerto Rico, but definitely for D.C., gone with the filibuster and an increase of numbers of, of justices on the Supreme Court. Go. Of course, that's a possibility. But from the conversations that I'm having with real people in real places, including in solid blue areas, I'm not getting the sense that the left is as passionate and fired up as you would think they would be seeing our democracy going down the tubes. There are literally still millions of Americans who don't care that all the things that they criticized President Obama for many times without basis are actually being done by the current president. And worse, they're getting bigger paychecks and they're not paying attention to the fact that they're going to get a much smaller paycheck in january because of the little sleight of hand that the president did now a lot of this is literally fake but they believe it and it doesn't matter what you tell them is reality that they even believe the manipulated videos that the republicans have been circulating about biden and when you tell them that's not real. Here's the here's the video that this was taken from, and this is what was manipulated. Said, oh, I still think it's true. All the more reason, Doug. All the more reason for the Senate to be reformed, because the very nature of the Senate—that it's supposed to be this body which was consensual, where people could reach across the aisle—that's gone now. 
It's been gone for at least 10, if not 15 years. And and Joe Biden talking about the fact that back in the day he could hang out with segregationist um, senators and still do deals with them, that's completely and utterly over. Which goes to underline the point, which I kind of half made before, that we do have Susan Collins and Lisa Mikowski. No, we don't. Blocking against John. We don't. Why, why don't we? Because well, if Susan Collins votes uh, against the Supreme Court, it's because she knows that Mitch McConnell's got 50 other votes and she's trying to desperately save her ass because she's sinking underwater in Maine. She's not doing it for moral reasons. No, 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 but, I, but that's great. But that's great because the Senate was supposed to be... No, what, one second. Oh, yeah, I love when you're exercised. But isn't it good, though, that at least we have two senators who actually are listening to their constituents, whether it's listening because of economic calculus or whether they're listening uh, because actually agree that what McConnell has done has been rank hypocrisy considering what he said just four years ago. Murkowski is not following her constituents. She's following her conscience, which she's actually got one. Her constituents would prefer... uh, ...just flies with the wind, and as soon, if it works, and it gets her back in office, and I don't think it's going to, but if it did work, she'd be straight back in Mitch's pocket. Yeah, it's pure politics, and and the problem is the other senators. I mean, the folks like Mitt Romney, Charles Grassley, uh, Lindsey Graham. I mean, these are people who are completely going against everything that they've stood for and proving that they are not principled people. And, you know, there are folks on the Democrat side too that, you know, tilt with the wind, but I've never seen this happen on such a fundamental constitutional issue, but it shouldn't surprise anybody. All of these things that are happening now were expected and predictable based on the impeachment trial. And Romney was the only one who voted to convict the president on things that were proven. Okay, Emma, you're up. Go, Emma. I mean, all of the measures that you've talked about are being talked about. You know, we've all heard the conversations on other podcasts. Um, but the problem is, the Democrats tend to be weak on stuff like this, and they constantly think that it's forty years ago and <laughs> that this lovely, sweet, uh, you know, consensus. Newt Gingrich broke that in the nineties. Yeah, we haven't had this most of my lifetime. It's it's a nonsense. But I worry that the Democrats are going to think they can go back to normal um, and will not take these measures that, you know, would actually make things considerably better. I don't think we've talked about Nancy Pelosi's strategies, though. She's got a couple of plays she can make if she wants to stop this Supreme Court nomination before the election to prevent him from stacking the deck for a post-election challenge. She can launch an impeachment in the House against Barr or Trump again, based on new stuff they've got, and especially Barr's vulnerable to it. uh, And that would stop Senate procedure, right? Don't be so sure that it would work because the fact is the Senate Majority Leader McConnell has seized power. And I mean, there's what, 400 plus bills that Congress passed that have gone nowhere just because of one person, Mitch McConnell. I'm and not saying he doesn't, there's nothing they, in the Constitution that says he's got to stop everything else and right. do an impeachment trial. I guess all I'm saying is that Nancy Pelosi is not the, the Democrats of the past. I don't think she believes in this delusional sense of goodness and sweetness. She has been tough the entire time. And he also risks, if he screws this up and the election is not decided by the 20th of January, she becomes the president. Does she not, Doug? 
Well, there, there certainly are some scenarios where that's a possibility, although very remote. Um, we saw some reporting a couple of days ago that the Trump people are actually preparing a plan to get state legislatures to essentially bypass the election and declare Trump the winner in each state and send the electors that way, which is appalling and scary. And there may be nothing we can do about it. So anything's possible. But I think it's important to understand where the passion is. And my fear is that if there is a move to do a new impeachment, and although the grounds for impeaching Barr or almost any of the Trump cabinet members, as well as the president, the grounds are there. But the Democrats aren't unified enough. And the people that support Trump are absolutely walking in lockstep. And an impeachment move would make that even more so. Yeah, it's that a high, would risk get the, high risk for sure. That would get the, the few soft people on the right fired up more than they already are. And that would really alarm me. All right. We need the, the election to happen. We need the result of the election to happen. We need the result of the election to be somewhat contestable before we get anywhere near your scenario, Doug. Surely, surely, surely. Let's say that um, we have a close election result in Florida and the, the Democrats can easily argue that voter suppression has played a massive part of that. Um, Republican lawyers are running around various states where the vote is close and trashing Democratic mail-in votes, uh, that is going to galvanize every right-thinking Democrat to be completely in lockstep with um, safeguarding democracy. So I think you've been overly pessimistic. Go on, go on. Democrats are the most argumentative, divided tribe in the world. They're almost as bad as well, the Labour Party. And, and I'm also, afraid, look, honestly, in- I'm more afraid of the street violence that I saw a documentary last night where you had some of these quote unquote militias, groups, patriots, whatever they are, the guys with the guns. And they were saying, you know, the, the rise of the, the the mob is the new word they've been trouting out everywhere this week. The Republicans, the Trumpites, uh, the mob of liberals is becoming increasingly violent. And this guy's like, we're not for violence, but we're going to have to use violence to defend our president. I mean, I honestly, all of this strategic stuff on the top level and how many votes are needed and what states need to be counted, all of that matters. But it, to me, the bigger lens is is this a civil war that's starting? And when they asked this guy, they said, is this some sort of a weird civil war? He goes, well, not yet. But if we have to defend our president, we will. I mean, that's what I'm worried about, Doc. I'm worried and, about- and now there are people on the left who are saying, holy cow, the president is actually inciting violence. We need to protect ourselves. We're going to go get guns and learn how to use them. Yeah, it's it's not a good scene. And the problem is that the president's language is not random. It's, you know, we it's we know now that he's not as stupid as we thought. And the way he has responded to questions about whether he would accept the election results mm-hmm. absolutely is a call out to the violent right-wing militia people. And it's also so disingenuous. They keep citing specific incidents where law officers or others have been killed. And any shooting at a police officer is wrong. Any violence is wrong. Doesn't matter who's doing it. But they have gotten the public to believe that it is 
the people campaigning for civil rights and treating black Americans equally are the ones who are violent. The fact is, it's been the right wing people already doing the violence, inciting the violence, starting the riots in Minneapolis, killing a law enforcement officer, two law enforcement officers in Northern California after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis by police officers. It's a false narrative that is taken hold. Doug, right. We, we have to move on. And this has been um, a week which has shocked the world, the, the things which your president has actually said and the way that he's, he has acted. And it has been shocking to me that more Republicans have not come out strongly against him. However, that's why it's going to keep. However, going. however, I take slight issue with what you've said there. One of the things which I take heart is that not all Americans, by any stretch of the imagination, have gone along with Trump and his narrative, and and that is true, and that's borne out anecdotally. It's borne out scientifically by looking at the polls. What this does say, though, is that you have a very deeply divided country that looks at objective news in the way that they want to. And it flies in the face of actually of facts. And and that is the true worrying thing about America as it goes into its last five weeks before the election. We have to move on, Emma. I know you're, 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 you're shaking your head, but uh, we have... It doesn't matter when you've got a system set up for minority rule. None of that matters. Just and, on that, and on that note, <laughs> and on that note, we are going to move from the contentious politics of the United States. We go to the British Prime Minister, who was actually born on the other side of the pond. It's Boris Johnson and his current woes. The struggle against COVID is the single biggest crisis the world has faced in my lifetime. This disease has killed almost a million people and caused havoc to economies everywhere. And yet I'm more certain than ever that this is a struggle that humanity will win and we in this country will win. I know that we can succeed because we have succeeded before. When the sickness took hold in this country in March, we pulled together in a spirit of national sacrifice. We followed the guidance to the letter. We stayed at home, protected the NHS and saved thousands of lives. And for months, with those disciplines of social distancing, we've kept that virus at bay. But we have to acknowledge that this is a great and freedom-loving country. And while the vast majority have complied with the rules, there have been too many breaches, too many opportunities for our invisible enemy to slip through undetected. The virus has started to spread again in an exponential way. Infections are up. Hospital admissions are climbing. We can see what's happening in France and Spain. And we know, alas, that this virus is no less fatal than it was in the spring, and that the vast majority of our people are no less susceptible. And the iron laws of geometrical progression are shouting at us from the graphs that we risk many more deaths, many more families losing loved ones before their time. Faced with that risk, the British people will want their government to continue to fight to protect them, you. And that's what we're doing night and day. Chancellor Sunak uh, has topped the latest poll of cabinet members' popularity amongst Conservative members carried out by grassroots Tory website Conservative Home. Uh, Johnson is now languishing in 17th place. 
didn't even know there were 16 other cabinet members there, Emma. But less than a year after delivering a thumping election majority for the Conservative Party. Where is Johnson facing most of his pressure from? Is it within the Conservative Party or is it from Keir Starmer's now rejuvenated Labour Party, Emma? Well, I think one leads to the other. Um, I think if um, the Labour Party was still languishing as badly as they have been under Corbyn, then the Conservative MPs would be, feel less under pressure themselves and therefore would be putting less pressure on Boris. So I think it's a cyclical thing. Um, they now feel like the Labour Party has more energy and that is concerning, particularly those with quite small majorities. Johnson spoke to the nation earlier on this week and in somewhat of a Churchillian tone. Was that a guffaw? Yeah. Well, okay, fair enough. Never, never in the history of all things has a man thought he was Churchill and not been Churchill <laughs> quite as much as Boris Johnson. Well, he tried to intone our great war leader, didn't he? However, Sir Graham Brady, chair of the 1922 Committee of Backbench MPs, now has won the support of 46 Tory MPs for his amendment aimed at forcing the government to consult Parliament much more regularly on its handling of the coronavirus. Uh, Tories are signalling their concern about the large amount of powers that the government seems to have gained during the pandemic. Um, Should they be worried or should we actually just give this government a little bit of a pass because we're in a once in a hundred years moment. When this all started, we were all willing the government to succeed um, and only the most extreme partisans were not. Um, and I, you know, I really wanted this government to succeed, um, but they haven't. We've had the worst response in Europe um, and, and, and as a result, we've had the worst death rate in Europe. Um, and they are now pushing us back into measures, but in a half-assed way, which will almost certainly end up with the worst of all worlds. Um, but equally, they have six months and they're still not getting it right. And you just think, you know, they, they seem to have absolutely no ability to plan ahead for anything. So these poor students, for example, who are being locked up in their halls of residence. Well, yeah, we could have seen that coming. We saw what happened in other countries. And it's not like I'm even asking us to invent the wheel here. Just look at New Zealand and how they've done stuff and copy that. You know, it, it is... So, I mean, there are two issues at question here. Should the public trust the government and give the, uh, give the government to pass? No, absolutely not. My bigger concern is that I don't think these MPs want to vote on all the measures for good reasons. I think there's this horrible libertarian streak, you know, the anti-maskers, the anti-lockdown, everyone should go back to work, it doesn't matter if some people die, you know, life's too short, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so my, my concern with the parliamentary shenanigans is that we'll end up with uh, everything going through Parliament. Johnson having to, again, do half arse measures at best, because that's all he can get through his party. Prime Minister was somewhat criticised for saying that uh, people in Britain, scratch Britain, really meant England, are uh, too freedom loving to, to follow rules. Wasn't he actually on some level fundamentally correct? Because what we haven't had in the UK is the amount of political rancour around mask wearing that you've had in the US. But we have had some, haven't we? Yeah, we've had some, but it's from a tiny minority. And to be honest, we were really good at following the rules at first. And you know how that ended? Because Dominic 
in Cummings decided that they didn't apply to him. And the drop-off of rule following after that was extraordinary. Uh, and this is the problem, is we're led by people who we don't believe, believe what they're saying. Um, and as, as long as that's true, it's really hard to enforce the rules. Doug, just, just to bring you into this, I've been really struck by the whole kind of mask wearing debate in the US. How much of this actually is true, let's say, libertarian leaning Americans saying the government tells me to do something, I just instinctively push against that? And how much this is signaling that you actually just support the president? Because it's strange for me that when Trump does his mini rallies, the people behind him are wearing masks, though he's railing against mask wearing. That's purely for the photos. And when the cameras are turned the other way, those masks go away. The problem is, I'm absolutely libertarian. And I think the less government mandate, the better for everybody. But that doesn't mean we don't want leadership. If you go back to what used to be the government, U.S. government's pandemic playbook, it described the importance of leadership and consistent communication. And if from the very beginning, the leaders of the U.S. government echoed the messages from public health experts that wearing face coverings of some sort will help protect you. Keeping apart will protect you. Staying away from somebody who might be infected will protect you. You don't need a law telling you to use common sense. Instead, we've literally had a president who has campaigned against the measures that are proven to protect. That's crazy. But that's not a libertarian thing. It's because the issue was taken from common sense into divisive politics for purely personal gain. And it's really disturbing. And in fact, the president's anti-mask campaign, literally, the US government bought enough masks to mail to every single household in the United States, which I found I was able to get a package. It's got the postage on it, the postage marks on it already. They were going to deliver them through the Postal Service to every household. And the White House blocked that from happening because they didn't want to send a mask message in April when it would have saved tens of thousands of lives. That's not libertarian. That's malfeasance. Emma, this is my gut, and I, I could be completely and utterly wrong, and you frequently tell me that I'm wrong, as, as is your one. Exactly, exactly. The impression that I got after Boris's address to the nation was that at least the mask wearing edict is going to be more strictly adhered to by the average Brit. Would you agree with me there, at the, at the very least? Uh, uh, I think probably, certainly in businesses. Um, I was in the pub on Thursday and all of the um, bar staff who have, are now wait staff because it's table service only. Uh, you can that see. is way too cool. <laughs> <laughs> For people that are listening on the podcast, as opposed to watching this on YouTube, um, a black tail, a black tentacle, shall we say, it just w waved its way across Emma's screen, which I presume is either belongs to a black cat or a black pet octopus that lives. Absolutely, under best special effects I've seen. <laughs> 
Um, hello, gorgeous face. Um, sorry, I've completely lost my track. Yes, and um, all of the bar staff who had to do table service were wearing masks. People in the supermarket are wearing masks more than they were a week ago, I think. Mm. Um, I mean, I've always worn a mask. Not always, you know, but always throughout the pandemic. I am inside. You don't in the pub because you're drinking. If the, it, it wouldn't work, but the staff do and you you'd socially distance. It's not the people like me that you need to worry about. I'm a rule follower. I'm a, I'm a statist. I'm the opposite of Doug. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a proper old-fashioned socialist. But I just think the rules are confusing a lot of the time. And as I say, we're in this kind of weird half measures. Mm. And I just, I just worry that it's not going to work. And as a result, we're going to end up in, in proper full-on lockdown again. Well, and that actually goes to the point. It's like clarity from the heads of state and the heads of individual localities makes the difference. I mean, we've seen places like New Zealand, places like Australia, places like Hong Kong and Taiwan, even Italy, the places where they've gotten coronavirus under some semblance of control have done it through a combination of orders and persuasion. That persuasion piece being critically important because you're not going to have police knocking on every door unless you're in China, maybe. Mm. Quickly back to Boris Johnson, who could well have met his Waterloo uh, at the Battle of uh, COVID-19. But um, if Emma... hilarious about Boris Johnson, and I'm sorry, you have to have a heart of stone not to find it hilarious. This is the job he's wanted his whole life. And not only is he manifestly and publicly failing at it, he's miserable well that's what i was coming on to um because he's had friends the brief to the press last week that he's not enjoying being prime minister and it's hard to survive on a prime minister's salary so paul boris you know are we looking at the end of the johnson premiership emma that was me doing the world's tiniest violin there <laughs> um to come back to churchill i think we may not be looking at the end uh, we may not even be looking at the beginning of the end, but we're certainly seeing the end of the beginning. <laughs> uh, you know what? That was very well done. Well done. Very last question. So our prime minister is uh, a laughing stock, if not abroad, definitely within the political corridors of power. His own political party are laughing at him. And he was nowhere to be seen on Thursday when uh, Rishi Sunak announced his winter economic plan, which ended with the uh, Chancellor saying uh, the public couldn't continue to live in fear and lives can no longer be put on hold. Ended with a somewhat of a flourish when he said that, didn't it? You could feel those Tory backbones stiffen. This was a, a rallying call to them. So I think he out Churchill Johnson. How do you think he did? Yeah, I mean, I think Rishi Sunak is having a better pandemic than Boris Johnson is because this new economic plan is not, it's going to feel quite painful to a lot of people. You know, it's not going to be the same as the furlough. And if that then leads to people having to choose between putting themselves at risk of COVID and putting themselves at risk of bankruptcy, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of people making the economic choice. And that, again, will have long-term implications. I think Rishi Sunak has set himself up for a big fall, but we shall see. I, I don't think the choices between just those two people, I don't think either of those two people are the most likely person at the moment to lead the Tories into the next election because I think they're going to be the pandemic people. Uh, and when we come out of the pandemic and we see how badly they messed it up, they'll be the pandemic people. 
from a government who has been defined by its policies during the pandemic. On this side of the Atlantic, we go now over to Canada, where Justin Trudeau has had uh, warm thermals underneath his government's pandemic wings, so to speak. Conservatives say that our plan has left every Canadian, everyday Canadians behind. Well, when the pandemic struck, Conservatives were more concerned with austerity than with helping people. And now they've doubled down on that view. See, when they say we haven't been there to help ordinary people, I can tell you that almost 9 million Canadians who received the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy will disagree with them because we were there to support Canadians right across the country despite the Conservatives saying that we shouldn't be. We were there for the millions of workers who managed to keep their jobs or get hired back to their jobs because of the wage subsidy that supported payroll. Those people needed support through this pandemic. And the issue that keeps coming back from the Conservatives is that, oh, we're doing too much, we're investing too much in Canadians, we're helping Canadians too much, it's irresponsible for the future. The reality is, as I said, the best way to recover the economy of this country is to support Canadians through this health crisis. That's what Conservatives don't understand. So in the short term, while we are living with this pandemic, we will continue to invest in Canadians, to support Canadians. And what we are not hearing from the Conservatives in their response to the speech from the throne is specifically what spending measures they disagree with. Laura, opposition parties in Canada cried foul when Trudeau prorogued Parliament, accusing him of a cover-up. But the fact that he's using legislative tricks to avoid scrutiny, does his wide-ranging throne speech mean that he's got away with the magnifying glass being put on some of his ethical doings? Yes, it does, for the moment. And that's because the throne speech started off with, this is no time for austerity. And he basically gave everything to every Canadian in every way that he could think of. The oil sector, energy sector out west would argue against that because there was a green energy part of it. Um, so they're not thrilled. And as usual, they don't feel they're getting the respect from Ottawa. And that's another conversation we can have about Wexit and all that. But the uh, fact that he prorogued Parliament when the heat was getting too hot around the WE charity scandal and then and the issues with the even the governor general, he put in a new finance minister who's highly popular, Christian Freeland. Uh, they came out with a throne speech that basically said, you know, I told you guys when the pandemic started, he said, we will all get through this together. He came out and he said, you know what? We're in a second wave. No Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas Canada, but here's a safe bridge for the next, you know, however many months. Wasn't that an incredibly powerful thing for him to say? Yeah, well, which part of it? I mean, I, he did so many things in that speech. It was a best practice, not so much the throne speech, but then he did a special address to the nation at dinner time, which I had my family sit and watch and never happens here, right? We don't do the presidential Oval Office thing. Uh, so when he did that, he actually said to the children who don't understand why your parents can't fix this, to the seniors who are living in fear, to, you know, to the worker. And, and then he basically gave a package that, I mean, extends uh, all of the unemployment benefits, extends the wage subsidies, provides childcare, I mean, right through the gamut. And then the NDP, to your point, uh, Jagmeet Singh, 
had the ability to take this to a non-confidence vote or not. Trudeau was making a calculated wager that the NDP wouldn't, and the NDP got what they wanted, which was guaranteed federal income wage support so that nobody or sick leave so that nobody has to make a decision between going to work or school when they don't feel well in COVID. So basically, Canadians have been given another big expense suite of protections and services. We're going to have to pay for it. There are going to be tough years down the road. And Trudeau is calculating that right now. Canadians would rather go on feeling relatively safe, relatively supportive during this pandemic, and then deal with it later. So for the moment, he has gotten away with stuff. Uh, and also two of the opposition leaders have COVID. It really put in stark relief. If two of the four parties, the leaders are, are right now dealing with COVID, the priority has to be the pandemic. And, and we'll see what happens later. They did try to satiate the those of us who are more uh, centrist around the, the economy by saying, we're going to pivot to a trillion dollar green economy. We're going to do all kinds of investments for the new future. So they had some visioning in there, but it was a masterclass in both tactics and messaging, and it will get him through the dark months ahead. Uh, we'll see what happens in the spring. Okay. But since uh, the coronavirus arrived in Canada, uh, the government has been grappling with high unemployment, the budget shortfall, which you've kind of talked about. And obviously, Trudeau's used this as an opportunity to, to reset his political fortunes. Um, 88%, it's a staggering figure of Canadians, have approved of the government's policies over COVID pre the, the, the throne speech. Why isn't his personal ratings much higher? Because you already mentioned it. Uh, it's We've seen over between the SNC-Lavalin scandal and the We Charity scandal, and I know compared to other scandals, they really sound tiny. You know? I mean, nothing our prime, compared to the Americans. Our, our prime minister got in trouble because he picked uh, friends of his, or you know how close they were, how involved he was in the decision, blah, 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 to put out a student support plan, the We Charity. I mean, that's what we were fighting about, was about whether or not he was too close to a decision about how to put it forward a, a COVID relief program for students, right? And the students suffered because the program got caught and shut down and everything else. Um, and we had other incidents where he thinks there's one set of rules for him. Are his ethical breaches at the level of what we're seeing in the U.S.? Not even close. So I think a lot of Canadians, when I hear them, you know, this hue and cry about how corrupt Trudeau is, Okay, he has definitely uh, has a problem with ethics and he's got caught for it and he should be held to account for it. No doubt about it. Uh, we don't like him as much anymore because of all that crap. But we are also dealing, you know, 80% of us live within an hour of the US border. So we're, you know, I think Trudeau is going to live to fight another day. All right. And on that note, uh, living to fight another day is definitely what, what we have to do here at this podcast. So we're going to go to takeaways of the last seven days. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Boy, oh boy. After all the despondency and the rancor on this podcast, it's only right and proper that we uh, break out the communal peace pipe. And uh, first off, smoking on that big pipe is going to be emma burnell what's been your takeaway of the last seven days emma oh gosh um i didn't prepare anything <laughs> you've been smoking too much of the peace pipe have you you can't think <laughs> um oh think, 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 think. well obviously um the uk is locking down again um we're we're in half measures now but we will be in four measures soon um and Whereas when we did this in March, we were coming into the summer. Now we're going into the winter. It's going to be a lot harder if we can't gather indoors. So I'm taking as much time as I can to do as much walking as I can while the weather is still reasonable, although it is raining currently. Walking is free exercise. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, And it's so good, not just for my physical health, but my mental health to just get outside, whatever the weather, and be strict with myself that I will walk for an hour a day. Um, And as we move to much more home working, um, you don't have that walk to the train station that you used to have. Um, So it is part of my new discipline um, to walk as much as I can. Um, So I'm just gonna extol the virtues of the free exercise of walking and um, meeting your friends in the park and going for a walk with them. Very nice. Well said. Laura Babcock, um, how about you? Well, at the time that we're doing this, it's the 200th day since the global pandemic, right? So we have been in this collective, slow-moving, unprecedented nightmare (laughs) for 200 days. And I know that I have been uh, probably overly, overly on the the cautious, paranoid stress scale. So it hasn't been good for me physically at all. And uh, so we went out on our first date in seven months, my husband and I, without the kids, just to a patio with our masks on just for a few hours. Um, But one of the things that it, and we're probably going to lock all the way back down at some point, they say surgically here in Canada, they're not going to do full back lockdowns, but who knows, right? Um, So what it taught me was, you know, 200 days of getting through this, we should all give ourselves some peace and some grace and say, however we got through, we got through. As a world, we're not in as bad a situation as I would have thought in this kind of post-apocalyptic movie scenario we've all been living in, right? Um, we, we have managed to keep some semblance of global community and peace going. Uh, we've managed to keep communicating and to adjust our lives. And so I think if we can all just say, my takeaway of the week is, okay, could I have done some things better? Could I have lived more of a healthy life? Could I have had more discipline and less fear? Sure. Um, but where we are now is we're, we're probably in this for three times longer than what we've been through so far. What does that look like? And I, I love Emma's point. It's inspiring to me. 
you know, let's, let's, let's just keep doing this together the best that we can be good to ourselves, good to the ones that we love. Uh, and we will get to the other side of it. And hopefully I remain hopeful a better world will wait for us on that side. If we fight for it now. Kumbaya sister. Uh, right. Uh, Doug, right. Everyone's been incredibly upbeat and positive, right. And you're not going to let us down now, are you? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll continue along the same theme. Um, as, horrifying as the response to the coronavirus in the United States has been and continues to be and will continue to be for the foreseeable future, there actually are a lot of glimmers of hope. There's some really depressing stuff. There's important things like in the southern states, we saw a surge in new cases among people between 20 and 35, followed two weeks later by a surge in cases among people over 60. So the younger people don't get as sick or don't get sick at all, but they do spread the disease. So if you're one of those younger people, don't be stupid. But never mind what the government is doing, the private sector has stepped up and individual communities have stepped up. San Francisco has a tiny, tiny, tiny number of deaths from coronavirus because they locked down before everybody else and the population cooperated and did smart things. We'll see how long they can keep that up. Also, travel companies are actually figuring out how to keep people safe. There's at least one cruise line that has been operating so far with good results. You know, they're absolutely keeping infection control procedures in place. And one of the major U.S. airlines is about to resume flights to Hawaii, and they're setting up a rapid COVID testing process at the airport and it's our new normal, but people are going to be able to start going on vacations again. And that's good news all around. Good news indeed, because I love a bit of travel, me. As long as you carbon offset, though. Uh, now, um, my takeaway. Last Saturday, I had the honour and the privilege of offloading one of my children into the adult world. I took her to university. Offloading? <laughs> yeah. You know... Pushed her like physically out the door. I like unconscious coupling. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Um, took her to Sussex University. Her mother and I were there as we were in her room and we we're unpacking all of her things. Her mom did this, I did that. She kind of did not much. You know, it actually felt like it meant more to us than it did to her, right? To her to step into life on her own now. And at the end, after two hours of unpacking boxes and setting up a room, my mum said, oh, should we all go for lunch? I looked at Maisha, Maisha looked at me, and Maisha went, nah, I'm good, why don't you go? <laughs> of which I burst out laughing and said, come on, Leandra, I think we need to go. She says, are you sure you don't want us to take you out for lunch? And if I take anything away from that lovely exchange, it was uh, knowing at exactly the moment when your child has become an adult and is in control of things and is saying, I've got this. The rest of my life is up to me now. So that's my takeaway of the week, parents. You know, know exactly the moment when you have no more agency over your child. Wow, what a week it's been, folks. Cry. Make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> 
what a week this has been a week which from many different lenses is going to be pivotal whether you're politically right of center in the u.s or, or left of center uh this is going to be a week which potentially could define u.s history and then world history for the next generation or two uh, dependent on the outcomes that we all decide to take remember folks left of center politics is right politics and however dark things get there is always going to be light just beyond the horizon emma burnell how can people catch up with your wondrous works i'm never off twitter so that's probably the best place to find me um at emma burnell underscore um and it says in my bio never knowingly appropriate so just you've been warned (laughs) (laughs) laura babcock how about you I'm always on Twitter watching Emma's tweets, but you can find me, Laura Babcock, on Twitter uh, or uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all Laura Babcock. Oh, and I've got to say, Laura, um, I'm going to be in Canada in the, in the next three weeks or so, so we, sh- we should do a thing. And Emma, I'm going to be in London um, in the next three days or so, so maybe maybe we might be able to do a thing. It's an insane week, but I'm sure we can find an hour in the evening. <laughs> And I must say, what you're looking at, we created a socially distanced little, we call it Punta Canada, because we know we can't travel this year and we miss Punta Canada. <laughs> so you could come over socially distanced here, maybe, right? Uh, listen, that, nothing would give me great joy. Uh, Doug, Doug, how can people catch up with your work, sir? Best place to find me is on Facebook, at Doug Levy News, all one word, or subscribe to my newsletter, douglevy.substack.com. And I don't need to feel left out, Doug. Because in approximately four weeks, I'll be back home in California and we'll have to have a socially distanced uh, date. Wouldn't that be nice? After you quarantine. Yeah, well... Yeah. Aren't you just going to leave in quarantine if you're doing all this travelling right No, well, I'm going, to can- I'm going to quarantine in Canada. That's the ah. thing. Ah, exactly. All right, folks, uh, there you go. Um, that's been us. Not quite putting the world to rights more worrying about it but we'll catch you all again soon take care look after yourselves bye bye normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.